Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. The cyclicality is kind of being upended by those nearshoring and rearshoring trends that we're seeing in America. We've got the enabling technologies and the most promising applications of those technologies. Zeno, welcome back to the uh, podcast. Hello, hello. All right. So, uh, look, artificial intelligence was obviously one of the biggest stories in the markets last year. Uh, but as we move forward here into 2024, you, you know, I, I thought it'd be interesting to hear just your perspective on where you think we are in sort of the hype cycle. Because I, I feel like we've moved beyond the initial buzz around uh, chat GBT and, and some of the other AI tools. And it feels like now the real work is being done behind the scenes. And so sort of the retail hype has faded a little. And I'm not saying that's, that's good or bad. It just doesn't feel quite as uh, buzzy as early last year. So uh, just just give us a current state of play. <laughs> what are you seeing in AI right now? Yeah, no. So as, as to your point, yes, when ChatGPT came out, which is now feels like ages ago, Sure, it set the bar higher than anyone had ever seen it for what, quote-unquote, artificial intelligence could do at the individual level across different types of, you know, text-based prompts. You know, you obviously have visual, 3D, and other elements of prompting to, to create, you know, that, that'll trickle across other creative elements, but people aren't just talking about it now. People are using it. My niece is using it. People at universities are using it. AI is being used everywhere. Now, it's not that it hasn't already been used and being that has been developed at organizations and in universities for product and other services, whether it's digital or physical creation, for many years now, just traditional machine learning and other types of AI. This generative AI is, is a new cycle, if you will. But yeah, you're right. A lot of work is being done behind the scenes. You have organizations that are you know, that are drilling down into all their business processes. I mean, RPA, robotic process automation, not robot, unlike what it sounds like. It's basically just breaking down task elements and workflows. That's already been put into play for almost a decade now. So there are elements of AI that has been around for a long time, um, to be clear. But we're now starting to see kind of local edge, you know, this AI is being democratized. And that, that's something you'll see and hear a lot of. It's just this democratization of product services and intelligence. Um, even this past year, um, you know, just it, it, so far this year at CES and Davos, uh, we're starting to see AI-first products coming through. Davos, core topics are AI, ethics, regulation, jobs, uh, impact of society, benefits across healthcare and education, other basic elements and also fears of, of what the impact and other implications are. So in no way, you know, while it might not be driving the news cycle, and, be, and let's be real, we're entering uh, and we're in an election year, so that's going to take a lot of it. And, yes, there are AIs coming into the fold with that. I think um, even today I saw something that people are cloning uh, Biden's voice. And so, you know, we have concerns around how do we defend against, you know, uh, negligence, you know, bad uses of AI. But all these things are real. They're now. And every organization and government around the globe is figuring out how to implement and use AI ethically, smartly, and with most impact for their bottom line, their people, and society. There's a lot. 
Zeno, from an investment perspective, even though per- perhaps this topic of AI isn't quite as buzzy as I, I mentioned before as it was earlier this year, there's clearly a lot of investor attention around this. And I'm curious, as you look at valuations in the space right now, you know, think about some of the most important companies involved with artificial intelligence, companies like AMD and NVIDIA, uh, Microsoft. How are you thinking about their valuations right right now? Because my sense is um, the overall sentiment is that valuations are stretched right right now. Do Mm -hmm. do you agree with that or or how how are you looking at that? You certainly see some companies that are trading at higher valuations on both a sales or not, you know, earnings valuation perspective. And then, um, versus kind of other players that are maybe not these large tap or, or magnificent seven names. You know, Nvidia is at around 25 times 40B sales. AMD and Microsoft are kind of tracking similarly at, at 12, you know, around 12 times. Companies like Qualcomm, which are, you know, also getting involved in the AI game, both on edge devices and augmented reality, um, and even laptops, uh, personal devices, not, not just in the cloud, but being able to run AI on devices, you know, it's trading at 4.6 times for EV sales. So you have quite a range. Um, you know, just from our perspective with the, the Sync Artificial Intelligence Index, it's trading at around 6.5 times overall weighted versus uh, its all-time high of over 10 times. So the overall ecosystem still actually hasn't caught up. It's really been a mega-cap growth story over the past year, um, and I think that's kind of going to be – a big talking point in area to watch is how that how that is impacted going forward. Um, you know, so so yes, I mean, you you still overall still you know AI is still a small sliver of overall ETF uh, influence. You know, yes, you're starting to get some more, but it's still considered kind of a, like a tactical edge versus you know a core holding versus the Qs, which is a very market cap weighted. So you still have lots of companies that have lots of exposure to AI that and, and will continue to as AI starts to develop and requires more more pieces like edge AI communications and the more and more we depend on AI, the more services and products that we'll have to require from a safety and regulatory and explainability endpoint. Um, these are going to grow a lot over the coming years. Uh, but that's not necessarily reflected um, you know, these are profitable companies. They already have business use cases, but Kind of this really incredible growth story hasn't even really been reflected into earnings yet. So that's something to continue as we enter this new earnings season. You know, we're kind of watching for those elements to start trickle and not just in the obvious names that people are following, like NVIDIA's and Microsoft's and AMD's um, that are very heavily held across the board. But these other companies, you know, I'll say a name like Pure Storage, um, that, you know, they're smaller cap, but they have great exposure to. Um, you know, the co- these companies themselves as uh, customers, but also growth beyond them. By the way, somewhat uh, related to this topic, there's a stat that I saw this morning that I, I have to share on the podcast, and you're probably already aware of this, but NVIDIA's weighting in the S&P 500 is now nearly equal to the entire energy sector. And there's wow. only three other uh, stocks that fit that criteria. Of course, Apple, Microsoft, and Google. I just thought that was uh, interesting, showing showing the run up, obviously in Nvidia, but uh, you know, energy has struggled for for quite a while. Um, if we look specifically at the ETF space, and you, you may be aware of this, so a few weeks ago, 
your uh, colleague, Laura Krigger, was on the podcast, and sure. we, we were talking about some of her uh, predictions for the upcoming year. She suggested that artificial intelligence ETFs might be the latest fad to flop. Those are her words, not mine, and uh, not to, uh, to to pit you against uh, Laura, but I would love to get your thoughts on this. And I, I think her point was that, look, there's no question AI is revolutionizing pretty much everything, but mm-hmm. I, I think that was also her concern with AI ETFs. Like, how do you actually capture this since it does impact everything. And she also noted that the company's benefiting from AI, and, and maybe this runs counter a little bit to what you were just speaking to, but you know, she was saying, look, these are already the largest tech companies anyways. So investors yeah. already have exposure here. They don't need AI ETFs. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I think, I think this is very sound reasoning based on historical and recent performance that mega caps will continue to reign supreme. At some point, it's true that every leading company will be an AI company, just like all the leading companies today figured out how to use the Internet. And if you invested in the Internet at the dot-com peak, you were out of the game. But those were also companies that had great vision. They were way ahead of themselves from an infrastructure perspective, from a consumer adoption perspective. We didn't have 50% of consumers or, or people on the Internet until 2001. So how would you have WebVam compete and be a global company to the scale that it could be, you know, that company could have been today back then. So the same scenario holds true today is you've got lots of AI um, companies that are building products like GPTs. You also have companies that are making open source GPTs, which this is kind of a game changer. Now we're democratizing digital products and services and intelligence to a scale that you can run this on your local device, which disrupts the traditional flow of how products and services have worked for almost the entirety of society. So it's true, you know, you have to, you can be in multiple camps here, and maybe you can call them camps. You know, um, do you think just big tech wins no matter what? Um, and if that scenario is true, what other companies win in that scenario? Because they don't do everything themselves. There's an ecosystem of products and services they also use, hardware, software, other elements there. Um, the other angle, and it could be parallel um, and happens simultaneously, is we get more open source edge AI devices that can run and do our own things. They can create their own apps, processes, visualizations on demand. It doesn't require these mega cap companies. What happens in that scenario? What are the companies that win in that in that game? Um, you know, I try to find and I spend time looking at companies that fit the narrative going into both of those. What overlap exists there? Um, there's also going to be lots of M&A as these companies play. You've got big uh, financial organizations, energy companies. You know, energy is actually a big beneficiary. Um, you know, AI uses a lot of energy right now, and it's also helping uh, improve um, not just how we collect energy but and distribute it and store it, but all of these different elements coming together. We've got advances in batteries and, you know, nuclear that are, that are being driven by advances in capabilities of the raw power, behind uh, the AI. So it's this very synergistic boost here. So, yes, I think there's a world where, you know, these, these magnificent 70 fuel companies continue to reign supreme for some time. But I think there's a couple other, you know, companies and plays in there where you might actually see uh, less, you know, need for these companies. Um, and then it's not just regulatory where you see, you know, uh, impact on app stores and antitrust that reduces their top and bottom line and margins. Um, that's in, especially in the EU and China. The U.S. hasn't really ever had a heavy hand on them to that extent, you know, not even since Microsoft and 
the Internet Explorer case back in the 90s. But, you know, this open source element, um, and we're starting to see companies that are being built off this, uh, that can drive a lot of competition against these players. So I think that's a, a really underappreciated angle to the story that we've had where the obvious early winners are these big players and the companies that, that sell services to them. If, if I were to distill that down and, and going back to AI ETFs, you know, most investors, again, are going to have exposure to um, the, the Magnificent Seven, right, if they're owning the S&P 500 or whatever. So is, is a takeaway there that if you're going to invest in AI ETFs, you should be looking for products that have minimal overlap there? And I guess along, you know, those lines, I know, obviously, Vetify – uh, has the Think Index, THNQ, that's behind the uh, powers the Robo Global Artificial Intelligence ETF. What does the overlap look like on that? It's about 14%. Okay, but is that it's the key? Definitely... Go ahead. Sorry? Go ahead. Yeah, about 14% with the MAG7. There's obviously MAGs from Roundhill, which is literally a MAG7 ETF. I don't really feel like I need to dive into the the, you know, the waiting there. Um, the, you know, the Qs, uh, Triple Q. 45% or so in the top 10 names, largely Max 7 And then uh, another player also from Rathos Chat, which uh, has 53% in their top 10 names, you know, a lot of, you know, concentration into the Max 7 Obviously, a lot of those players are in chat, you know, in generative AI. Um, I think the little broader, um, there's cybersecurity, there's networking, semiconductors. I think uh, we look at it more as like a body. There's brain, there's energy, there's senses, an immune system, and connectivity. And then there's actions like reasoning, movement. Um, and so, you know, these, these those elements echo what is needed for deployment of AI. And it's not just kind of what's happening today, but this broader ecosystem of what artific- artificial intelligence can mean across the physical and digital domains. Um, there's also AIQ, which, you know, top five holdings are NVIDIA, Meta, ServiceNow and IBM uh, with 35% or so in the top 10 names. Very uh, market cap weighted. Just a few minutes left here. You mentioned the physical and digital domains. And I I know we briefly touched on this last time you were on the podcast. But um, let's come back to this idea of artificial intelligence and robotics Mm -hmm. getting lumped together. Because I have noticed in the ETF space, there are a number of products that combine these two, right? And, And you had talked a little bit about why it is important to understand the differences here from an investment standpoint. So do you, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because I do think it's important for investors looking to allocate to these types of ETFs to, to understand the drivers here, whether they're looking at a, you know, more of a quote unquote pure play AI ETF or something that's also combining robotics. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there is a big difference and they significantly impact and use each other. Um, you know, chips wouldn't be in existence without extremely precise automation and robotics companies, but I like to break it down as simple as possible. AI is digital, robotics is physical, and yes, there's some gray area there. Um, But you're right, a lot of AI ETFs that are bundled in AI are hybrid, and a lot of robotics ETFs are considered AI. A lot of people think, you know, the RoboGlobal Index ETF, which was launched in 2013, They bundle that into AI, which I disagree with. It can benefit from AI. I think robotics is going to benefit greatly from generative AI, improving training, sensing, controls, and computer vision elements, and reducing energy requirements, and basically just uplift and upskill these robots 
to be working beyond just traditional cells and manufacturing and industrial elements. But, you know, some of the things we're focused on at large are, you know, autonomous vehicles and drones and other modalities such as that. We even see, you know, we've called out this year as being the year of the humanoid robot. Um, And we're actually starting to see humanoid robots with functioning hands and mobility that are being tested in warehouses across the globe. That's in the U.S. with Amazon. You have China exploring this. It's one of their top goals, actually, in China, is to build humanoid robots, too, because there's a labor shortage for a lot of these key areas that have high-churn, low-labor demand. I mean, people don't want a lot of these jobs, and they're dangerous. And so there's, there's a lot of companies and components that go into that. So AI can help with the training elements, but on the physical side, you've got controllers and motion controllers and sensors and computer vision that are very hardware-based. And so that's why, you know, it's important to, to isolate, you know, physical as being creation and movement or digital as, you know, reasoning and analysis and these other elements. There's an overlap of sorts, uh, but there are very key differences. You know, take, for example, Bob. Uh, 69% weighting in the top 10 names with NVIDIA at 17%, Intuitive Surgical at 11, ABB at 8, and Keon's at about 7%. You know, Robo um, is about 18% in the top 10 or so names. So it's it's a bit more diversified with uh, more, you know, weighting in the uh, mid and small cap. Companies like Azenta, Intuitive Surgical is shared at number two. Companies like Caradine, Illumina, and uh, one of my favorite companies, Rockwell Automation. Was just at their uh, their investment analyst day uh, last last quarter. Yeah, I mean, as always, it uh, you know we say this all the time on the podcast. It gets back to understanding exactly what you own. You have to look under the hood, understand the uh, the specific companies uh, there. By the way, the uh, humanoid robots. Every time I see one of those videos out on uh, Twitter X, it scares the living daylights out of me. It's like a uh, something from the Terminator. <laughs> Terminator, do you, yeah. do you ever watch uh, iRobot? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> theater. Yeah. yeah. No, but there, there's a lot of positive elements there. Yes, what, what, uh, it's true that the set, you know, the control elements and, and th- those are very important elements that will not, we will not see broad adoption without safe controls for sure. these types of modalities and robots. No. So that's, that's going to be one of the biggest regulatory discussion of our time you know you've got people that need help that don't want to do chores at home and if somebody could do that everyone you know a lot of people's quality of life will be enhanced um i like to look at it as um quality of life for you know our work or whatever metric you want to do um you know that's not not exactly reflected in traditional metrics like gdp or even per capita gdp but um you know those are those are elements that that we take seriously from from our angle it's just areas that improve, and, and those are those are companies that that end up winning in the long term. Yeah, as long as my uh, lawn mowing robot doesn't turn on me uh, at some point, <laughs> Zeno, <laughs> we're going to have to uh, to leave it there. Great having you back on the podcast. Really enjoyed the uh, conversation. Thank you for joining me. Really fun to be back with you. Thanks again. That was Zeno Mercer, senior research analyst at Vetify.